Hey there, it's Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up in these three things, Buffalo is atop ESPN's football power index of the eight teams left in the playoffs. What are the projections saying? Does NFL playoff history prove that defense wins championships? And we talk with Chiefs radio analyst Damon Hughes about whether the Chiefs have emerging offensive players like the Bills do with Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox. Are you kicking or sticking? All right, thanks for checking in with us here at Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker and Bills Insider Chris Brown here with you as always. And our rundown of these three things begins with ESPN's Football Power Index. Our good friend and analytics writer for ESPN.com, Seth Walder, wrote this week that the winner of the Bills-Chiefs division round playoff will win the Super Bowl, according to ESPN's Football Power Index. ESPN's FPI measures a team's true strength on a net points scale, and they use an expected points margin versus an average opponent on a neutral field. Huh? Yeah, don't ask me. I'm, I'm guessing what they're doing in the grand scheme of things there is weighing a team's strength by how effective they are against the average that the league has to offer. But anyway, their FPI is 8.8, the Bills. That's more than two points ahead of the Chiefs, but just three-tenths of a point ahead of the Bucks, who ranks second. Kansas City is third. First question, Steve, how likely do you believe it is that the winner of Sunday's game between the Bills and Chiefs will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? I, it's, I think it's a coin flip. Um, not that I'm not discounting it, but I don't know what Cincinnati and Tennessee are going to look like. Okay. And it's a week-to-week league. That's fair. And it, at this point of the season, all these teams are playing at a high level. Um, the Bengals, the Titans, the Bills, the Chiefs, they're all playing at a really high level. So are the Niners, the Rams, uh, the Packers, and the other team I can't think of. So, um, <laughs> it, it, right? So they're all playing at a high level. And you don't know. Yeah. One week to week is I don't th- I don't think there's any of these four teams that are going to say oh, I don't know if they've got any shot. They all have a shot at it, and I think yeah. to give one a favorite over I'll say this. Um, I think the two teams that are the most difficult to find your way around beating are the Bills and the Chiefs, no question about it. The Titans, if you you know, I I'm still not a believer in Tannehill. Uh, their run game is good. Their defense is gifted. They've got some great weapons on the outside with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. They've got some guys in, in Tennessee. They can really go. And they've got that power running game. They're getting some fresh guys back. And Derrick Henry looks like he's going to play at least a little bit. Um, they're a problem and have been all year. And they're really well coached. So I don't know that you can say favorite or not. I, you know, I, I, you got to see. You got to see what these teams play about. Not only this weekend, but what yeah. it looks like going into the next weekend. I so it's, s- a, it's a coin flip for me. I would say in surveying what's left on the AFC landscape, it's like that old Sesame Street deal. One of these kids is doing right. his own thing, and that's the Titans yes. because the other three teams are built similarly in many ways. The Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals, high flying offenses, and for the most part, pretty good defenses. I mean, I think Cincinnati's defense is a little underrated because the offense gets all the attention. We know the Bills have the number one defense in football, and as we know, the Chiefs' defense has really come along here in the second half of the season. 
and that's and, and the Titans are not the same. Their defensive strength is up front with Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Jeffrey Simmons. Those are the horses. Those are the thoroughbreds. Uh, and, and, you know, Kevin Byard is a nice safety. He's pro, perennial Pro nice, Bowl safety. Good. Those are your four premier defensive players for the Titans. They have premier players. You could argue that the Bills do not have premier players, maybe outside of Poyer and Hyde, especially with Tredavious White off the field, although some would argue Edmonds and Milano are pretty damn good as a linebacker tandem. And then you have the Chiefs, who have some premier defensive players, Chris Jones being the most notable among them, along with Tyron Matthew. How do you slice that? How do you dice all that up? Because sometimes the collective whole is better than just having a couple of premier players like the Chiefs and the Titans do. And I think the Bills' defense is an example of that. Right, I think so as well. And and it, it could be, though, and, and you can get your mind right, is there anything to the question that because the Titans are different, they present different problems that teams aren't yeah. built to solve? Possible. Um, that running game is a problem for people. Um, Derrick Henry's a problem for people. Their defense is a problem for people. And Ryan Tannehill, I mean, with, AJ, with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown on the outside – they're two number ones. They really are. Now Julio's over the, you know, he's he's on the backside the of his same. career, and when he's healthy, he's really he's a problem. But he's, you know, he's at that point of your career where bodies break guys down. guys get fragile. Um, nevertheless, you know, the you can discount the Tennessee Titans because they're different, or you can you can give them some kudos because they are. Or they're yeah because they're successful in a much different way than everybody right. else. Last part of this football power index subject is it projects the Bucks and the Bills as the two most likely teams to reach the Super Bowl. Bucks at 38.3%, although we should note these computer simulations do not have knowledge of injuries like no Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown being released from the team. And the Bills are second at 35.9%. Moving away from the algorithms that I just listed, how difficult is this to project the Bills to the Super Bowl just with your eyeballs, knowing we have yet to even see Tennessee or Green Bay in playoff action yet? You kind of alluded to that already. It's but pretty difficult. There's a lot of things that are going into this thing every week. You know, let an alone, injury, a key injury alone, perhaps in the first key, playoff. Let alone COVID. But oh yeah, um, <laughs> all of that, that stuff. <clears throat> You know, all things being equal, you can rank these teams in your head, but I and I'll just say it one more time. You can have the better team, but you got to play well on that day. None of these teams are going to fall over. I don't think. You mm. can't count on any of these eight teams left in this thing to come out and not show up. Like the, some of them didn't in the wild card round. Yeah. That's not going to happen in the division round. See Dallas. Right. <laughs> See the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals, Cardinals, the New England Patriots. Yeah, you know you can. There's some of those teams that showed up that didn't have, did not have a good day. You can't count on these teams not having a good day. They're going to play well and present problems. Now that doesn't mean they're un, none of them are unbeatable. All, half of them are going to be beatable. So I think to project what's going to happen, I get it. You're going to take this algorithm and all the mathematics. And you're going to throw it all into a thing and say, here's where we're at. And and you you can rank these teams: the Bucks, the Bills, the Chiefs. You know the Packers, all of that stuff. They can go. They can go into the hopper and pull them out and rank them one through sixteen or whatever. Yeah. But man, oh man. Good luck seeing that line up that way. One through yeah, one through eight in this this 
tournament is they don't line up like that. And it's so I think it's hard to project. I yeah. think uh, this weekend is going to be a weekend where I think others are going to have to play a role. Yeah. The others, not the Pat Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the Steph Diggs, the Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey's and the, you know, the God, the Chris Godwins and the Tom Brady's. It's going to be the others. Yeah. You the know, role the, players. The role players that are yeah. going to have to step up and make a difference. I would tend to agree with that. I think the thing that, and I'm not worried about the Bills or Chiefs players getting caught up in this, but there are many national media people who are saying, well, Chiefs and Bills should be the AFC championship game, and we're getting it in the divisional round. So one of those two teams, whoever wins, is going to the Super Bowl. It's like it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion in the yeah. minds of some, and that's a very dangerous game to play, as you pointed out already. But that seems to be the general consensus by outside observers. Chiefs-Bills are the two best teams in the AFC, as most people see it, and one of them is going to be knocked off here, making the path that much easier for either the Chiefs or the Titans because now you only got to go through one of those teams to get to the big game instead of two. And that, that's what surprises me in the way the playoffs lined up, that some of those teams aren't ranked higher with a higher degree of probability to get to the Super Bowl because you don't have to beat the Chiefs and the Bills if you're Cincinnati or the Titans. If you get past the divisional round, you only got to beat one of those teams to get to the Super Bowl, not two. I think that makes a huge difference yeah, in your probability that, of getting to the big game. The fact that the seeding fell the way it did and, and Kansas City and Buffalo are on the same side of the AFC bracket yeah, it's a squasher for those people who want that rematch again. Yeah, but well, they'll get it just a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's just the way it's go. <laughs> way it's the way it goes. Um, you're gonna have to. <clears throat> I think it means that the league's gonna play a weekend of playoff football without one of those teams next yeah. weekend. Next up in these three things is the familiar phrase that defense wins championships. Is it accurate? Well, it seems to be. If your defense is number one in total yards allowed, total points allowed, and passing yards allowed, see Buffalo. Buffalo, as we know, is number one defensively in all of those categories. They became the ninth team since 1990 to pull off that trifecta. Four of the previous eight teams to finish first defensively in points allowed, total yards allowed, and passing yards allowed won the Super Bowl that season. Four of the eight previous teams, the 96 Packers, the 02 Bucks, the 08 Steelers, and the 2013 Seahawks. A fifth team reached the Super Bowl but lost. That was the 2014 Seahawks, who ironically lost on an interception at the goal line at the end of the game. Do you like what history tells you, Steve, about Buffalo's defense as far as the playoff fortunes go? Yeah. Good defenses help you win, and they travel well. Um, it's easy. To, it's nice to go on the road with a really good defense, knowing it's going to be tough for the home team to, to pour it on. Um, now, Having said that, I mean we're, you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs that, you know they churn out, they churn out points, you know, um, I don't know there's whatever machine turns out points like you know, they do a good I, job. It's hard to get an analogy for for They're, how fast they were right they can behind score. the Bills in scoring. Yeah, they can go, man. They can really go. Um, yeah, but your defense does give you a chance. Now there's also the 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 thought that the Bills and the pa Patriots and the AFC East had an easier schedule getting through all of it this year uh now the bills had the number one the most difficult they played other division rivals and other division champions uh, as the first place afc east schedule right but they're playing you know they played the south the afc south uh you know and the nfc south. nfc south so 
which Wasn't are it? which are two down divisions. I think. Well, we can it agree. has. Yeah, the, the Bucks are in that AFC NFC South. The the Saints are in the NFC South, but, but you the think Saints of the aren't thing, the Saints. The Carolina Panthers. The Saints aren't are having an off year. And uh, Atlanta. And Atlanta. So. And then you got the Jags and the Texans. Right. You know, it's just. Yeah. So you can say, well, they padded their stats. You know, on weak offenses and a lot of backup quarterbacks, and that that helped them get up there. Nevertheless, they played good. Uh, they're a solid defense. This and is a different kind of challenge. It's though. a different I think we kind can of all challenge. Agree on that. It's a different kind of challenge. So, you know, the number one scoring defense, history says that I'm. Uh, you you want it's better than having the number ten or sixteen defense yeah. like they did last year. I mean, you can't, and that's that's the argument I was going to make. No matter how you feel about what the history says, at least you you know you're going into the game with the best scoring defense that the league has to offer this year. Well, at least we're going into this game with no de- no defense right. is better than ours. At least we're bringing right. that to the table. And I'll say this too: there, it's a much better place to be than they were last year when they went in there. Yes, I think they're playing. They're they're getting better and better each week. They've played with more confidence and more confidence each week since you know things came together in the last three weeks, four weeks of the season. They're playing with a lot more confidence. Their defense continues to play well, and now they're you know they're going into this game against Kansas City on the road in the playoffs after waiting for it for a year, better than they were 12 months ago. And I would as argue, good as they were 12 months ago. And I would argue the number one change in how this defense is different now, in comparison to where they were in Week Five, is they are a more physical defensive front. I think they defend the run more effectively from a physical line of scrimmage standpoint, and they are a better pass rushing team. So what the, I think the biggest strides they have made have been up front on the defensive line from even where they were in week five in a game where they made some plays up front. Greg Rousseau with the tip ball for the interception against the Chiefs in week five. I mean, they made some plays defensively up front. I think they're even better there. Now, going right. forward, the emergence of Harrison Phillips and Ed Oliver, who had not done that right. those yet guys, in week five. Those two guys have elevated over the last month. Harrison Phillips is playing meaningful snaps, and he's, he's playing very well. He's got a high effort. He's going down the line, making stops in the run game. Um, he and Ed Oliver have, are playing better yeah. than they have at any, and in my opinion, difference. any point in their career. Yeah. Our last of three things deals with Sunday's Bills Chief divisional playoff in Kansas City. Last week against the Patriots, we saw how well-rounded Buffalo's offense is. No longer is there an over-reliance on Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley to give the passing game production. Third-year players Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary have become bonafide difference makers on offense, and they force opponents to pull their attention away from Diggs and Beasley. The question is, do you believe the Bills have similar or excuse me, do you believe the Chiefs have similar emerging weapons for their passing game to pull attention away from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey the way the Bills have? Yeah, well, Miko Hardman um, is a good player, and so is Byron Pink Pringle. Uh, and they bring some things to the table. Now, I don't think – now, they are, they are good op- options. Those guys can play. I don't think they're the same kind of – thought process of defending them that you do the Bills. The Bills have got a very wide a wide variety of skill sets, mm-hmm. and I think the Chiefs all kind of throw into one mold. You know what I'm saying? Now, there are differences in among them, but they're all fast, and they're all wide receivers that are route runners. You've got, for Buffalo, you've got, you know, McKenzie. You've got Cole Beasley, who's a separator. You've got Emmanuel Sanders, who's a separator. in the end, And, of course, Diggs is the number one. 
Uh, Gabe Davis, who's a bigger target, who can, who gets separation in the back end. Uh, and, of course, uh, Dawson Knox, who is emerging as quite the weapon, along with Devin Singletary. I think there are a lot of similarities, but I think when you go deep down past the Diggs and the Cole Beasleys and the Travis Kelseys and the Tyreek Hills, you find differences in the others that are down below those guys. I think the guys that are behind Kelsey and Hill for Kansas City are a little bit the same. I think there's a a variety of skill sets when you go down that far with the Buffalo Bills. Right, beyond skill sets. Which may make them predictable. Right, well, yeah, maybe. Beyond the skill sets, and maybe this is because I've seen more of the Bills and the Chiefs, obviously, week over week, I just feel like Josh Allen has an inherent trust in every single guy that he throws to. And look, I know the first thing somebody's going to say is, well, quarterbacks have to trust their guys to make plays. Every quarterback trusts everybody on their offense. Well, they may say that publicly, but I think there is a genuine trust factor that exists from man one to man eight in the pecking order of who he might be throwing to on a given Sunday. I don't know that that implicit trust exists for Patrick Mahomes and his entire receiving core. Nicole Hardman has been the victim of drops through the course of the year. His consistency, even as a third or fourth year player, still isn't there to the point where he can get on the field. And it's the reason why Byron Pringle has leapfrogged him in the pecking order of that receiving core. He has been more reliable. He has been kind of the true number two opposite Tyreek. Um, you know, and in essence, he's a three because Kelsey might as well be a wide receiver with the way they use him in the offense. But Hardman is a guy that's hard to count on, hard to trust. And I think with the Bills receiving core, top to bottom, you've got playmakers that I think Josh Allen implicitly trusts. And I think in a tight spot, when you need a play and it can't be Diggs or it can't be Beasley, they've got other guys that I think Josh Allen is not going to hesitate to throw the football to. And I hope that's a difference maker for the Bills in this matchup. Okay, we'll get into this discussion more when we speak with former Chiefs receiver Danon Hughes, who is the color commentator on the Chiefs radio network, in just a minute. Bills fans, right now at FanDuel, new customers can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or by downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Time now, though, for the numbers game. And this week, we challenge Steve with the best rushers in the league from week 15 through last week's wild card playoff round. So, Steve, oh. this is tough. We're taking a snippet oh. of the season, the top 10 rushers <clears throat> since week 15, who finished really strong. Steve, are you ready? Let's take your best swing at this. All right, here we go. Um, let's see. I'm going to say, we'll start with Devin. Devin Singletary is on the list, number eight on the top ten. I'm just looking for you to get half of these. I'm not I'm not really right. looking for. What about Debo? Debo is not here for rushing yards, no. What about a guy from Kansas City, Jarek McKinnon? McKinnon only really played last week with a heavy workload, so no. He is not on that list. All right, how about... Okay, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, number two, 463 yards over the final four weeks and didn't even play last week. Mixon. 
Joe Mixon is not on this list. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, number five. Who have I got? So you've got Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, and Devin Singletary among the top ten rushers over the last four weeks of the regular season and the first week of the playoffs. Najee Harris. Najee Harris is on this list. Number six. With that offensive line and not much of a passing game, he still averaged 4.67 a carry. That's pretty good. How about who's the guy for the Niners? Mitchell? Elijah Mitchell? Elijah Mitchell is not on this list. I need you to just get me one more. I'll say it wouldn't be Ezekiel Elliott. It would not. What about about his running mate? Tony Pollard's a no as well. Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook not on this list, no. I'll give you one more kick at it. Give you one more guess, and then I'll help you fill in the rest here. Oh, uh, Damon Harris. Damon Harris is not on this list either. So here's how it goes. Does it got to be a playoff team? Not necessarily, no. But there are, I mean, there are, actually there's, (laughs) you've named the three of the playoff or two of the playoff guys. There's only one more that was on this list. Or two. Clyde Edwards. Or two. Josh Jacobs, Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, okay. Okay, he was number three. Sony Michelle from the Rams. He was number four. Had a strong finish to the season. Deonta Foreman, Tennessee Titans, who filled in for Derrick Henry. Okay. Yeah. Strong finish to the season as well. Duke Johnson came on late for the Miami Dolphins and did really well down the stretch. Rex Burkhead in Houston. He had a gigantic game really? that oh, one week. Yeah. They, did they sign him to an extension because of I, that? I think so. Say what you will. And number one, he was on a non-playoff team, but they ran the tar out of the ball. Wait a minute. Let me just non-playoff team. Run. NFC. I will say... I don't Washington? Think, I don't think you're going to get it. Rashad Penny, Seattle Seahawks. He averaged 7.03 yards per carry over the last four games of the season. 534 yards in the last four games. And they did not make the playoffs, as we know. Hmm. Top 10 rushers over the last month of the season. Something to keep an eye on if you're a fantasy player for early next year, provided some of those guys are in the same locations as they are Right now. All right. Good job, Steve. Not bad this week. Eh, that was all right. <laughs> that was a disappointing. Well, they can't all be, you know, grand slams. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Joining us now is former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Danon Hughes, who is now the color analyst on the Chiefs radio network. Danon talks to us about how the Chiefs offense has morphed and changed this year and just what was done to rescue a Kansas City defense that was floundering in the middle of the season. Here is Danon. All right, Danon, so big game, probably the most anticipated of the entire weekend, especially because of the recent history between these two teams, not only this season, but in last year's AFC title game. What is the headline grabber for you in this matchup? Oh, man, I think there's several storylines, guys. Um, Obviously, the revenge factor because the Bills came in during the regular season. If, if, if Chiefs fans and Chiefs players want to reach for something, that was somewhat of an embarrassing loss at home on the same turf. But conversely, the Bills can, they can argue the same thing from the AFC Championship last year. So 
I think that kind of nullifies itself, but both teams are playing at an amazing clip, did an outstanding job in the wild card round. Uh, but you got two of the top quarterbacks, playmakers in the league going against each other. It's really comes down to me about protecting our home turf as the chiefs. And then for the bills, it's gotta be, you know, returning to uh, where the madness happened. And um, I thought the bills did an outstanding job setting the tempo when they came into Arrowhead earlier this season, it almost seemed like they made a concerted effort to be physical, wear some penalties early uh, to set the mindset and, and basically rerouting receivers. They were jamming and disrupting Travis Kelsey. And I thought it was, it was a great game plan. Like they, they seemed like they were willing to get as many penalties as possible early in the game kind of knowing in the background that they probably wouldn't get those same penalty calls later in the game. And uh, it worked in, in great fashion. So I think the Chiefs have to learn from that on our side, and we'll see what the Bills bring. Yeah, this, this game also, the Chiefs are a much different football team. They're playing differently than they did early on in the season. They got it together in a big way. What is the most uh, – talk not X's and O's so much, but what about personnel? What's different this time around – for the Chiefs, as well as what they're doing now that they didn't do X's and O's wise. Yeah, so uh, on our defense, if I had to vote for an MVP for our defense, and I think it really comes down to our defense. In that first matchup, we had some offensive blunders. We weren't really hitting our stride offensively. I thought Patrick Mahomes was trying too hard early in the season, as opposed to just being the playmaker that he's been. But from a person personnel perspective, to me, the defensive MVP of this team is Melvin Ingram. His acquisition in the trade from the Pittsburgh Steelers jolt, gave a jolt to this defense like I haven't seen in a long time around here. Melvin Ingram has been an outstanding addition. He's allowed Chris Jones to go back to his natural position in, in the interior defensive line, and he just plays with a different kind of energy that I think has has permeated across this defense. So when you're talking about what's different, to me, that's the number one thing that jumps out is that Melvin Ingram has added an infusion of, of energy and playmaking ability that we desperately needed. I mean, the stats don't tell the true tale of what he's and how he's impacted this team. And then on the offensive side, Dana, I mean, here in Buffalo, Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary are two third-year players that kind of emerged as bona fide difference makers and have diversified Buffalo's offense. From the outside looking in, it would appear that Byron Pringle is a third-year player that has done that for the Kansas City offense. I mean, last four weeks of the regular season alone, here are your targets on offense, your leading targets in the passing game. Tyreek Hill with 28, Travis Kelsey with 25, Byron Pringle with 23. I mean, he's right there. Can you just speak to his emergence and how he has diversified Kansas City's passing game? You know, it's interesting because uh, I played against Steve Tasker. He's a, he was a wide receiver but made his bones in special teams, one of the greatest to ever play in special teams. Matter of fact, Steve, right before this podcast, I was watching the Joe Montana documentary and fortunately, I didn't get to the AFC Championship in 94 because I probably would have thrown my remote at the TV. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say this about Byron Pringle, and Steve, you know this. 
when, when you make your bones in the league as a special teams guy, I was that guy as well. You, you feel like you can still contribute as a wide receiver. But the toughest hurdle to get over is usually the coaches not seeing you as a special teams guy, but seeing you as a viable wide receiver. So that has been an uphill battle for Byron Pringle. He's a bigger guy. He's physical. He loves special teams. He's been really good at it, returning the ball as well as out on the, at the gunner position. And it took some time, I believe, for this Chiefs offense to recognize that he can be a true number two. We went and got Josh Gordon, tried to get him indoctrinated into this offense to be a number two receiver. McCall Hardman tried to get him as well. And neither guy really worked out. Demarcus Robinson, the same thing. And I think it's really over this last month come down to Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid saying, hey, this number 13, this Byron Pringle kid, he can be that guy. And when Tyreek Hill was down with a heel injury in Denver and Travis Kelsey was out against, against the Steelers, you needed somebody to step up. And it's great to see that kind of blue-collar guy that kind of played just like Steve and I, be able to get his opportunity on offense and make the best of it. He's a Kansas State kid, so he's a local guy, and he's really taking advantage of his opportunities. And one of the things about that as well, and I, I remember going through that as, with a special teams guy, you, <clears throat> there are probably guys on the right, maybe even Mahomes himself, sometimes the players see stuff in practice that the coaches ain't watching for. And a guy like Pringle, he'll – and I know this happened to me when he got on the field. Mahomes already knew the guy. Mahomes yeah. has no problem throwing the football. So when the guy finally gets on the field, he gets some. He gets a bump right away because, like, wow, because Mahomes is already comfortable with the guy. Now, despite what Andy Reid or the uh, enemy think about him, Mahomes has been thrown to the guy, so he knows. And it's I think it's shocking, not just. You know, coaches are, it's a pleasant surprise, but for fans, they're like, wow, this guy's really good. They re forget that Mahomes knows the guy, feels comfortable with him, and Pringle, right when he got in, started getting snaps, Mahomes had no problem throwing him the ball. And I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle when you got a great quarterback who watches stuff like that. Sometimes it's just a reality moment. You know, as well as I do, coaches, there are times where coaches can overcook things and overthink things. Uh -huh. And the, and the guy could be right in front of your face and you could be, it's like the little kid that's trying to, you know, get into the game. He's like jumping up in front of you as dad. I can make the play. I can make the play. And you're still looking for the bigger kid that's around that you can go and get. Byron Pringle has been that guy. If you go back to the first Super Bowl run in 2019, one of the biggest plays of the season was when we were playing at Detroit and Byron Pringle took a heck of a hit on a ball he caught. He actually got yardage after contact and fell into the inside the five-yard line on a crucial uh, down. To me, it showed his toughness, but then automatically your mindset thought, okay, well, he's our special teams guy. He's our kickoff return guy. He's our gunner. He can't be our wide receiver. And that's, get, that's been a kind of a tug of war for a while. So I think it's one of the great stories. If we're able to move forward and get to a third straight Super Bowl, to me, one of the great stories of this season outside of Melvin Ingram is the emergence as a wide receiver for Byron Pringle. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like Isaiah McKenzie. He's been here for Buffalo. He's kind of emerged on the offensive side of the ball at the receiver position in what's a very deep receiving core as well. The other guy who's kind of shown up to the party late here for the Chiefs 
is Jarek McKinnon. Um, we know Clyde Edwards-Alaire was down last week. Don't know what his status is going forward. If you can shed any light on that, we welcome it. But I don't know if his snap count's going to be what it usually is with the juice that Jarek McKinnon brings to that backfield. Um, we know Andy Reid loves putting as much speed on the field as possible. Jarek McKinnon popped uh, watching that game last week. What do you see his role being going forward? I don't see any reason why it should diminish. Uh, yeah, you'd love to have Clyde Edwards-Alaire back. And, again, you get, we've been around this game of football for a long time. Andy Reid, when he was with the Eagles, he always had a one-two punch. It was never really about a bell cow. It was always Deuce Staley, Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy. You can go through the list. It's always seemed to be that one-two punch, even when it was with the Eagles. Going back to our Super Bowl run, nobody heard of Damian Williams prior to that, to that playoff run back in 2019, 2020. And now we're getting a, a, the same kind of situation with Darrell Williams and now Jarek McKinnon. Uh, uh, he's a smaller guy and he gets low center of gravity. He gets behind his big body blockers and you lose him. And he's got a great burst. He hadn't had a whole bunch of opportunities this year. So he's got fresh legs. He came off of an injury where he was out for several weeks. And it's just about who's hot right now. And I think it's, it's, it's a testament to the, the evaluation process with Brett Veach, Eric Bieniemy, and Andy Reid. But right now, he's the hot hand. I don't see why you would try to reinvent the wheel when you got a guy that's done what he's done over these last two weeks. He basically helped win the game against the Denver Broncos two weeks ago. And uh, he didn't slow down last week. Super. Dana, listen, thanks much for the time. Uh, we purposely did not bring up the 93 AFC championship <laughs> game. You brought it up, so that's on you. Because uh, Steve is, you know, he's it's a gentleman and a scholar. Yeah, plus, plus <laughs> I can't remember that far back. So. <laughs> appreciate the time, Dana, yeah, as thanks, always. Dana, thanks very much. You, we'll see you out there in KC. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, good conversation there with Dane and Hughes. Our final reminder, the NFL playoffs are in full gear, and everyone can get in on the action with a risk-free bet on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download the app today and make every moment more. We close with our one burning question. This week with the divisional playoff front and center between the Bills and the Chiefs, our question is, who has more pressure on them in this game, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? I think it's Josh. Uh, Mahomes' MVP, Super Bowl MVP, World Championship, a couple of straight AFC titles, and trying to go back to their third straight Super Bowl. Pat, you know, he's the standard. Um, so I think Josh, if he wants to assume that role, he's got to beat him. Yeah. He's got to beat him in this game, in these games like these. Uh, Josh is still, you know, because of the way his career started and the where he was in the draft and how what people thought about him coming out, he still has a lot of baggage that people attribute to him, even though he doesn't deserve it. Right. And there are still people bringing up a play three, you know, the, the lateral play in the Houston playoff game in 2018, the one, you know, that when they were trying to come back and win, when the team blew a 16-0 lead. Uh, that was, you know, Josh still carries that around for some people because yeah. they don't watch him play every week. No. So and that's so far in the rearview mirror, and that's not even you know that's like another guy. So yes, I think Josh has more, and I don't know about more pressure, but I certainly think Josh Allen has more to gain through this victory than Pat Mahomes has to lose through this victory. Right, 
and I would agree that Josh Allen does have more pressure because this is can you get over the hump? Can you get by the team that's been standing in your way each of the last two seasons? And as much as the Bills are built to be a perennial contender by Brandon Bean and head coach Sean McDermott, we don't have to remind anybody there are no guarantees that you're going to get back to the same spot and get a second crack. Here is your second crack at the team that bounced you and cost you a Super Bowl a Super Bowl berth last year. So the pressure is on him in a big way. My hope is he can compartmentalize that and just focus on the game, just put all that other garbage to the side because we know when some of those things affect him, that's when as you say sometimes, you got to peel Josh off the ceiling cuz he's running too hot. Right. And then there's rocket balls flying around and You'd like stuff to think like that. With this game, the way he played this last week, the prep amount of pressure that was on him. Uh, of course, it was a home game and the crowd hyped up. And, well, you know, and it hard. got off to a very good start. That helps well, kind of calm your nerves a little bit. Yeah, but that was the start was him. Mm-hmm. You know, him going whatever right. he did, went four for five or five for whatever it was, six for eight on the first drive or whatever it was. Um, that was him getting off to a nice start. That speaks to how things maybe have changed for him. Uh, but that game last weekend, Saturday night in Buffalo against the Patriots in the wild card round of the playoffs, would have been the textbook spot for him to be have. You'd have to peel him off the ceiling hmm. at home against a team that you've got a lot. You've had some success against, but also one of those teams that's you don't know about. They got a great defense. So I think he, that proves how, with the step-by-step, that he's got it in him to just relax and play. But, yeah, it's um, – he's got he, – he'll do a lot of things for his reputation around the, you know, the casual fans around the league um, this weekend. Because now – you talk – if now, the time we're taping this, late in the week, right before the division round against the Chiefs, <laughs> just now, national – Media analysts are going back and taking a hard look at the game that he had against the Patriots, and now they're coming out and going, oh, my gosh, did you see that? Did you really look at that game? And when they study the film, the guy was perfect. Right. He didn't throw throw an incomplete pass for the last two and three-quarter quarters of that game. It was just outside the first quarter was the last time he threw an incomplete pass. Yeah. He – he was unbelievable. I think and we, now they're just catching up to that. Yeah, I think we can all agree that the game against the Chiefs will not be as easy as that one was. And if there's a battle that Josh has waged in his young career, it is with himself and his own hyper-competitive nature, which you want in a quarterback, and any coach will tell you, they'd rather have a guy they've got to tell to ease off the gas than to have to kick in the pants to get him going. Right. They would oh, rather sure. have the latter, or the former rather than the latter. Because Josh has worked very hard to keep that under control while still performing at his best. But there is this inherent desire when things might be a little wonky at the start of a game to try to kickstart his team by doing something spectacular and sometimes that doesn't always work, and that can sometimes get him into trouble. I think even in the last quarter of the season, he has done a far better job 
of keeping that under control in a way that is still productive for his football team. And it is my hope that he can do that again, even if the game against the Chiefs doesn't get off to as perfect a start as the wild card game did against the Patriots. And I think the coaches are aware of it, so are his teammates. I mean, they, you know, all the way from Josh listening to Frank Sinatra on his playlist beforehand, you know (laughs) that when, if, if, uh, you know, Brian Dable pops on the headset and starts, you know, giving him the playlist, he can always throw in that sentence like, just take what they give you, just relax. Hey, take, don't be afraid to check this down. Or, hey, after this play, don't take this sack here, just relax. You don't have to make this play. Or saying, listen, make sure you just live to fight another day if this doesn't work out, you know? And I think those are the lessons that he has learned from the Houston playoff game in 2019 from the AFC Championship game last year. Hopefully all of those lessons are applied in what is another breakthrough performance for Josh against the Chiefs. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Be sure to subscribe so you know when our next episode is ready for you. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody.